The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. I think it's certainly true that Christmas is a beloved time of year. Even the word itself may evoke strong feelings within us. One of them perhaps is warmth, the warmth of family and friends that we're going to spend time with. Perhaps one of them is joy, the traditions that we do, the time off perhaps that we enjoy. Another might be comfort. We have our favorite foods. We enjoy predictable plot lines on Hallmark. We know what to look forward to. We know what we love. But perhaps the best thing that Christmas evokes is wonder. The sense that there's something greater than the everyday white noise all around us. The the sense that maybe for a moment we're on the fringe of something transcendent. When candles are lit and our lights are aglow, our faces shine as we sing, Oh Holy Night, for a moment the goosebumps on your arm affirm to you that what if there is something bigger and more wonderful than anything this passing world has to offer? And what if I could know that something, and it could never be taken from me? This evening, I want to tell you why that's true. Why those goosebumps that cause you to feel a moment of transcendence can actually be an enduring reality that the concrete slab between the ideal and the real was actually broken 2,000 years ago. And there's one verse from the Bible that we'll look at for just the few minutes that we have together tonight, and it's John 1, verse 14. It's on the screen there tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From that one verse, it'll stay up the whole time. I'm going to just focus on five key phrases in it and unpack them for us this evening and trust God to work through that. Now, Matthew and Luke's Gospels, which were read for you earlier, tell us the, the narrative of Christmas, the angels, the shepherds, The manger. John doesn't do any of that in his gospel. But he tells us why Christmas matters, what it means. And it really is condensed in this verse. So notice the first phrase at the beginning of the verse. It says, and the word. What is a word? The word is the clearest and most ultimate expression of oneself. Have you ever watched somebody And you made inferences about them by maybe the way they looked or their body language. And then they spoke, and you realize your inferences were wrong. I remember in high school, one girl saying that she thought she had fallen in love with a guy on the bus. And then he woke up and spoke, and she fell out of love with him. (laughs) She had drawn this mental picture of the kind of man he was until he spoke, and then she got to know who he was. You see, don't be confused by this very simple phrase, the word is how you get to know someone. Here's how God reveals himself. He reveals himself most fully in the capital W word. This is the clearest expression of himself. If you have your Bible in front of you, or if you have time later this week, the rest of John 1 fills in who the word is. I'll just summarize it for you quickly tonight. In verse 1 of this chapter, it tells us in the beginning was the word. Now that phrase, if you know the Bible, is a really big deal. Because the Bible begins in Genesis 1, verse 1, saying, In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, this phrase at the beginning of John 1 is saying, hey, you know, like the very beginning, this word was there. And in fact, not only was he there, the word was with God and the word was God. So the word is distinct from God the Father, and yet the word is God equally. That's an incredible statement. He was in the beginning with God. But even further, in case there was any confusion, verse 3 of John 1 says, all things were made through him, through the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light and life, and his life was the light of men. So this word has always been. This word created everything that has come into existence. And this word contains self-existent life, and he gives life to all that live. Therefore, our very existence shows us that there's something greater, (laughs) someone more transcendent, someone who is there long before us, and someone who will be there for eternity still. Thus, Thus, those goosebumps are actually clues towards the light that reveals that the word is who we need and who we long for. In fact, verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness. Yes, the world is dark. Things aren't as they should be. But the verse continues, but the darkness has not overcome it. That means that this word cannot be overshadowed by anything broken in this world. In fact, we sing in O Holy Night, long lay the world and sin and error pining. But then the good news, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, the light that cannot be overcome by the darkness. That's all the first phrase, the word. Now, if you look at the next phrase, became flesh. For a thousand years, if you went to church, you had to know Latin. In fact, we forget how recent that is. My parents' parents are from Italy, and they grew up Roman Catholic. And when they went to Mass as kids, you either learned Latin or you had no idea what the priest was talking about. That's because the Latin Vulgate was the only Bible from about 8500 to 8500. And in the Latin Vulgate, when they try to translate became flesh, the word in Latin is incarnate. That's what Christmas means. It's the incarnation. So became flesh is telling us the very point of Christmas. This eternal word who was there in the beginning, this eternal word who created everything that has life, this eternal word who is the light, became flesh. The ideal, the transcendent, broke through the concrete wall and became real. Thus, the reality that so often lets us down has been breached by something super real, something above and beyond the mundane. And it's come into the world to take on flesh, to be born as a baby, yet without sin. Why would the word take on flesh? There are two reasons. The first is solidarity. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that we have a great high priest. And he's not one who's unable to sympathize, but he's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Meaning that this word can relate to you in any situation. You see, the ideal became real. Solidarity. There's a second reason, though, the word became flesh, and that is vulnerability. Hebrews 2 tells us that the word became flesh so that he could be made lower than the angels, so that he might taste death. He became like his brothers, flesh and blood, and partook of the same things, so that he might become a merciful high priest and make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
Have you ever seen at a schoolyard, maybe an elementary school, a circle of kids and you hear chanting and screaming and you kind of hear people picking sides, but you probably know what's going on inside that circle. Somebody's beating somebody up. (laughs) And yet that circle remains a circle and very few humans will break into that circle. Do you know why? Because if two people are fighting, and especially if one is beating the other one up, humans stay in a circle on the periphery because they know if I step in the circle, then I might get beat up. You see, if you step in, you become vulnerable. The word became flesh so that God could become killable. He chose to be vulnerable out of love for sinners who had no other hope. This is the good news of Christmas. Now the third phrase, dwelt among us. Again, I'll nerd out on a little bit of etymology. The word, the Greek word here is tabernacled. And so much of this passage is hearkening back to Exodus 33 through 36. Tabernacle is an important word. Here's why. In the Old Testament, if God was going to meet with man, the meeting place was the tabernacle. Now, do you see why this is such a big deal? The Word became flesh and tabernacled. Here's what that means. The way that we can know God is through this Word. Let me say this to you then tonight. If you know all sorts of things about God and about the Bible and you think you know a lot about religion, but you don't personally know the Word, then you don't actually know God very well at all. You see, the Word is the meeting place for God and man. He tabernacled among us. Now the fourth phrase, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Now this phrase, I think, is the key one. We have seen his glory. Why is it such a big deal for anyone to see God's glory? I already told you this passage refers to Exodus 33 through 36. In that passage, Moses is trying to talk to God. Maybe you've heard of Moses. He has the Ten Commandments. Perhaps you're picturing Charlton Heston. (laughs) But Moses wants to see God's glory. And so Moses says to God, let me see your glory. Do you know what God says to him? No one can see my glory and live. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock and he passes over him. And the Bible says that Moses sees just a portion of of the, the passing away of God. He cannot behold God face to face because if you behold God face to face, it exposes you for who you are. This is why when Isaiah the prophet saw just the hem of the train of the glory of God, he says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, if we see the crystal clarity of God's perfection, it makes clear to us our imperfection. We can't see God and live, but it's worse. God can't see us. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says this about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that God can't see people who sin. God is omniscient and he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent, but it means he can't Behold them favorably. Uh, Perhaps I can help us understand this. Uh, As you saw earlier, I have a daughter, and so not that long ago, I was talked into watching Little Women, and then I bought the book, too. (laughs) Well, I I can't lie. I I liked it as well. (laughs) As we were watching it, though, and then reading it with her later, there's a key scene in it, and I don't think I'm giving too much away. One of the girls in that family loves writing 
And she writes a full manuscript at a time where there's no computers and there's no opportunity to hit save. So she takes all this time to, by hand, write a manuscript. And then she goes out with her other friends. But she leaves her younger sister at home. And her younger sister is so mad at her for leaving her out that while her sister is gone, she takes that manuscript and she throws it in the fire and it burns up. When the older sister comes home and realizes what her younger sister has done, she says, I don't ever want to see your face again. Meaning because of this thing you've done to me, we can't look at one another again. Now that illustration is not exactly like God because God doesn't retaliate in anger like humans do. He doesn't hold vengeance and it's actually not possible to hurt him because he is independent and self-existent. But perhaps we can understand it this way. Have you ever known a public figure who you thought really well of? And then one day it was revealed that behind the scenes, that person was a monster. And it became demonstrably clear. It wasn't just an accusation. It had evidence and evidence and evidence. And now, whenever you think of that person, you can't look at them the same way. You see, God cannot look on evil as if it's not evil. He can't tolerate sin as if it never happened. He can't look favorably on those who fail to be what we ought to be. And that is all of us. And so the face-to-face intimacy we should have, there's a breach between it. And if that was the end of the story, it would be a miserable Christmas. But it's not. Look at the last phrase in the verse. We beheld the glory as of the only Son from the Father, but this is a very important phrase, full of grace and truth. Again, this is referring to Exodus. In that passage we read that the Lord is slow to anger, gracious and abounding in steadfast love, and yet He will not clear the guilty. You see, the Word takes care of both. He takes care of the clearing of the guilty. He is the truth. He comes and stands in the place of sinners and bears their cost. He also is the grace, the good gift that is given to all of us, though we don't deserve it. Now, I just got done giving you an illustration of people that can't look each other in the eye because of a breach between them. Do you know what Jesus did so that God could look at us and so that we could look at God? On the cross, which Jesus went to willingly and voluntarily to pay for our sin, the body The body of Christ bore all of our sins. And there's this moment on the cross where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you get it? God the Father had to turn His face away from God the Son. He couldn't look at Him because He was bearing our sin. But praise God, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He then said, it is finished, and then He rose from the dead so that God can now look face to face with anyone who receives Christ's forgiveness in our place. You see, what the Word did was become flesh so that He could bear what we owe, but we could never bear Now, if you've been confused, who is the Word? And if you have John down in verse 17, it says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Word, that eternal, pre-existent creator, the life, the light, is Jesus. We know Him as Jesus from the manger, and we know Him forever as Jesus. 
If I went to Greenville, South Carolina, which is where my wife grew up, and I went to her elementary school, and I asked for her yearbook, and I asked for her by her married name, they wouldn't be able to find her. I'd have to ask for her by her maiden name. We know Jesus now because God became man. But from eternity past, he was the word. But see, now that the word has become flesh, we know him as Jesus. And he is named Jesus because he's come to save his people from their sins. See, Jesus is that eternal God. He's the light. He's the truth. He's the grace. So let me give you three quick Christmas conclusions. First, that transcendence that we're on the fringes of when we have those moments where it seems like there has to be something more, that transcendence can become imminence. It can become personal. It can be yours because the word became flesh. As was read earlier from Matthew 1.23, the word Emmanuel means God with us. I think this was best captured by Charles Wesley in his hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He wrote, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Here's my second Christmas conclusion for you. Always remember that the incarnation was for the purpose of our salvation. It's Christmas, and we rightly think about the manger and the baby. But always remember that that manger is in the shadow of a cross. And that Christmas morning has a straight line to the horrors of Good Friday, which thankfully has a straight line to the wonders of Resurrection Sunday. But they're all one unlinkable chain, and they work as one. To say it bluntly, Jesus was born to die. The incarnation came for salvation. And if God had become flesh, do you know what that means? My efforts to make myself good enough are obviously short. If God had to come down the mountain, then clearly I cannot climb up the mountain. He has to carry me on his back. That's why the word became flesh. Third and final conclusion for you this Christmas. How do you receive Jesus? Verse 14 is the one on the screen. The two verses before it say this. Um, well, after verses 9 and 10, say he came into the world, and the world, his own people, did not receive him. But then verse 12 says, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right, the authority, to become the children of God, even those who believed on his name. See, do you know how the word, you know how transcendence becomes personal? You receive Jesus as your king. You turn from trust in anything else, and you trust in him alone, and you believe in him alone. So this Christmas, let me encourage you. The invisible has become visible. The untouchable has become touchable. The transcendent has come to you. Have you received him? Have you believed in him? Those goosebumps that tell you there's something greater are right. So don't leave this Christmas just with the warm feelings. Leave this Christmas knowing personally the word who became flesh. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your true love. For those of us who, apart from you, were in hopeless estate. Lord, thank you that the ideal longings of our soul that seem too good to be true 
actually are true. And that's why Christmas does give us a warm feeling. But it's more than that. The word became flesh. He broke through the concrete barrier between the ideal and the real. God actually dwelt on earth. So Lord, I pray that we would all behold his glory. But we have to be honest. There were some people who lived at the time of Jesus who saw him and yet somehow didn't see him for who he really was. In fact, Philip said to Jesus, Have you been with me so long, and do you not know if you have seen me? You have seen the Father. So Lord, don't let anyone be blind today. And we can be blind willfully. We can be blind because in our pride we don't want to admit we need help. We can be blind because we fear the cost of what if there is this supernatural word and I receive him, what might that change in my life? We can be blind because we're afraid of what it might look like to other people if, if I became a true Christian who, who centered his life around Jesus. But Lord, let us not be able to suppress the truth. Let the truth burn in our face so that we receive it and its glorious wonder let us realize how good Christmas is. Christmas is wonderful because it means God can be with us. The Word became flesh. Thank you for Jesus, the greatest gift of all. In His name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's E-B-C-R-A-L-E-I-G-H dot com.